I'm so glad to see you in the house of the Lord. And what a wonderful privilege it is to worship God and praise his holy name. Thank you for being with us in the house of the Lord and may the power of God be upon you as we share together. I'm going to speak from the epistle of John, the gospel of John, chapter 20 and verse 30. John 20 and 30. You know, John was an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. And he was the beloved disciple, closer in heart than probably any of the other disciples. So we read from John's report, John 20 and 30. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I want to talk about fundamental, foundational truth. Fundamental, foundational truth. You may be seated. The mission of the gospel writer, John, was to communicate the word of God in terms that were familiar to the Greco-Roman or the Hellenistic or the Greek-Roman mindset. John had that objective of communing the word of God, communicating the word of God to them. But also John had another very important objective. That was to clearly state the basic fundamental foundational truths regarding the nature of Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God. The Christian faith was so new. The leaders of the church had not yet provided authorized and approved scriptures. And this lack permitted people to develop their own theories regarding Jesus Christ, or at least to be very confused regarding what they were to believe. Christianity was born in an environment where people adhered to many philosophies and to many religions. Some of these individuals became Christians and sought to mix some of their former beliefs with the doctrines of Christianity. They came out of other religious faiths, but they held on to them as they adopted also Christian faith and belief. They sought to mix their formal beliefs with the doctrines of Christianity. And then others retained the framework of their prior religion and merely placed Christianity in the framework of their religious beliefs which they held before Christ. Still others develop personal and distinct doctrines and teachings which differed from the teachings of the apostles and from the fathers of the Christian church. 
Listen to this statement by Will Durant. Of minor heresies, there was no end. The incrotities abstained from meat, from wine, and from sex. The abstinence practiced self-mortification and condemned marriage, saying that marriage was a sin. The docetists taught that Christ's body was merely a phantom, not human flesh. The Theodosians considered Christ only a man, no more. And the adoptionists and the followers of Paul of Samosa thought that he had been born a man, but that he achieved divinity through moral perfection. The modalists, the Sibelians, the monarchists recognized in the Father and Son one person. The Monophysites, only one nature. And the Monothelites, only one will. One religious group which preceded the birth of Christ whose adherents tried to incorporate Christianity in the former framework of their teachings were a group called the Gnostics. They believed that the world and the material realm were evil and could not have been created by a good God. It was an evil creator God who created the evil world. And this evil God, some of them claim, was the God of the Old Testament. They held that there is a good supreme being who was a pure spirit and pure wisdom. Man's body was evil and held captive by man's spirit. Divine knowledge and divine revelation was the only thing that would lift men to a higher realm and out of that evil. And Jesus, they said, became the Savior when he received this supernatural knowledge. They held that Jesus was not God, but merely one of a lesser being between God and the world. And other Gnostics claimed that Jesus had no real body, that he was some kind of phantom without real flesh, without real blood. This was the heresy of docetism, which held that Jesus only seemed to be a man. Others held that he was a man upon whom the Spirit of God came at his baptism and that left him before his crucifixion. The Gnostics came to be a special group of individuals who were able to receive this special knowledge, and some of them claimed to be above and exempt from the moral teachings of any religion. They felt that they could do anything with their bodies and not compromise their spiritual state. And so they lived very wicked and very sinful lives. They refused to recognize anything but their special revelations as authoritative. And because many of them attempted to infiltrate the church, their teachings were a threat to the authenticity of the church. Monanus, 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 founder of Montanism, denounced 
what he considered to be worldliness in the church. And he sought to retain to primitive Christianity, stress the authority of prophetic gifts, and he prophesied with such a power that some hailed him as the Holy Spirit himself. When he prophesied that the New Testament or the New Jerusalem was to descend at a certain time to a certain place, many people went to that place so that whole towns went to that place to see the coming of the New Jerusalem. And this group continued for centuries when the emperor Justinian tried to eliminate the group. Some of them gathered in their churches and set fire to their churches and burned themselves alive. Many, a Persian who lived in the third century AD, preached that the earth belonged to the kingdom of darkness, that the earth was created by the devil. And woman, he said, was Satan's masterpiece, the chief agent in tempting men to sin. So this guy prohibited his followers from eating meat and from having sexual relations even within marriage. He said that there were two realms, darkness and light, and that the way to salvation was to follow wisdom and abstinence to the light. It was called Manichaeism, and it attracted many adherents for a period of a thousand years. But also, a man by the name of Marcion, who lived in A.D. 140, believed that it was his responsibility to divorce Christianity from Judaism. He believed that Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, was too harsh and too vindictive to be the father of Jesus. So he indicated that there was another God, a greater God, who sent Christ to the earth. The body of Jesus was not real matter, uh, material substance. Jesus was a spirit made visible. And so this person urged his followers to reject the Old Testament and to refuse to marry and to abstain from fleshly pleasure. But in the midst of all of this confusion, if you agree that there was some confusion, can I hear you say amen? In the midst of all this confusion, John, the gospel writer, was urged by the church. To, he was the last surviving disciple who walked the earth with Jesus to write down the things that he knew to be true about Jesus. The disciples of Christ went to him and said, John, all these crazy beliefs are going out all over the world, but you walk the face of the earth with Jesus Christ. You were his disciple. He and you were heart brothers joined together in love and commitment. You saw his miracles. You heard his teaching. So John, we want you to write down everything that you as a witness know about Jesus Christ, especially those things that would share clarity in areas of confusion and falsity regarding who Jesus was and what Jesus was. Certainly Jesus could not be everything that everybody was saying that he was. And to allow all these things to be said without refuting them 
but only make it impossible for people to know Jesus or what to know or to believe about him. And so the history of the world might be described in terms of a quest for truth. But throughout history, men have searched for that which corresponds to reality. Men want to know what's real. They want to know what is false. Dreams, illusions, and hallucinations have been so frequent in man's experience that there's much apprehension, even skepticism, in the mind of man. Men don't know what to believe. They really don't know what is true. And everything is dependent on the knowledge of truth. Truth is not contradictory within itself. It's not inconsistent. And if you can find and know fundamental, foundational truth, then you can reason correctly and consistently. And you can build a structure or a system of truth, a foundation by which you can successfully find the way through life and right thinking. If a map maker truly, realistically perceives the details of a geographic area, if he truly and realistically portrays that perception on paper, then other individuals can take that map and with accuracy and with success find their way around the area described in the map. But on the other hand, if the details of the geographic area are not properly perceived, then they cannot be correctly portrayed. And they're not correctly portrayed, then others, by the use of that map, cannot find their way successfully. Thus, a map is true when things are as it says that they are. And when a map is false, then people by it will be confused and lost. Only that which corresponds to reality can be said to be true. And it's preposterous to me to allege that it does not matter what one believes as long as he is sincere. It's ridiculous to assert that all religions are but roads to God, that it does not matter which road one travels because they all lead to the same destination. But I just came by to tell you all roads do not lead to the same destination. Truth cannot be on all roads, but rather on one road. So the biblical writer John, like others in his day, spoke of truth, and he spoke of reality. John proclaims, that while others were searching for the truth, he had found the truth. He had heard with his own ears the words of Jesus Christ. He had seen with his own eyes the miracles and the wonderful things that Jesus had done. He saw Jesus crucified on a cross. He saw him after he was resurrected. And he proclaimed that he had found fundamental, foundational truth in Jesus Christ. Are you all tired of this? Hang in here with me for a while. The word truth appears in the 
Gospel of John and the Epistles of John 26 times. And 21 times in the Epistles, 26 times in the Gospel of John. That is in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the Gospel of John. The word true occurs 19 times in the Gospel of John and seven times in the Apostle. And when you read the word true or truth in John's writing, you should understand them to mean reality or real or genuine. So that in John 1.9, Jesus is the true light or the real light. In John 6.32, he is the true bread or the real bread. In John 15 and 1, he's the true vine or the real vine. I want to share some of John's fundamental truths that he presents to counter the false allegations regarding Jesus. Some had said that Jesus was only a man, that he was not divine, not unique. He was the one and only Son of God. But John would proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He countered their claim that Jesus was only a man, that Jesus was not divine, not the one and only Son of God. In John 17 and 1, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes toward heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And in verse 2 of John 17, he said, As you've given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work that you've given me to do. And now, verse 5, Oh, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. Jesus, the Son of God, talked about the life and the joy and the glory that he shared with the Father before he came to the earth and before the world existed. And in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I'm the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And finally, let me read John 1 and 1. For the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So John would proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is important because only God has sovereign authority to rule over our lives. Only God is the source 
of ultimate truth. Only God can reveal God. And only God can reveal the nature of reality and the nature of the future. And so God is the father of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the son of God. And the second foundational truth is that Jesus Christ was and is God. But he's not all there is to God. There are those who proclaim that God is Jesus only. That Jesus is all there is to God. There's no trinity. There's only God. Jesus is God paying puppeteer and portraying for us that life of Jesus. They would refuse to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost because they recognize Jesus, the Son, only. But if Jesus was all there was and is to God, why would he speak of the Father and speak to the Father when in truth he was only speaking of himself? If God is only Jesus, then why would Jesus cause the Father to speak back to him when it was only he speaking back to himself? Why would he pray to the Father and say he was doing the will of the Father and say that he was one with the Father? Why would he speak of the Holy Spirit as a divine person and say the Comforter cannot come lest I go away? Why would he speak of sending the Holy Spirit if he was all there was to the Holy Spirit? Listen to Jesus pray to the Father in John 12 and 27. Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And John and all the disciples that were with him heard a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. But Jesus answered, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. I know I'm just running all over the place. Are you all still hearing me? The one God is manifest to us in three persons. Look at 1 John 5 and 5. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and by blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. For it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are how many? Now, this illustration I'm going to give you is not an adequate one because you cannot adequately explain the Trinity to the materialistic physical mind. I, with my finite mind, 
can come to the Trinity with this close illustration. An apple is peel, an apple is meat, an apple is core. The peel is apple, the meat is apple, the core is apple. It is one apple, not three apples, but it has three identities, peel, meat, and core. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Ghost is God. Nevertheless, we do not worship three gods. We worship one God in three manifestations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In John chapter 10, verse 27, can I just find my way through the word of God today? John 10, 27. The Bible says in the words of Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So Jesus talked about his Father. But he said he was one with the Father. That he was one with the Father. Now, one must never attempt to apply the categories of this world to the infinite God. There's nothing in God's creation that would compare to God. I explain God. Our limited, finite minds cannot understand our creator. And all we can really do is love him and praise him and serve him. Try to understand the Trinity, you lose your mind. But deny the Trinity, you may jeopardize your soul. For 1 Timothy 3 and 16, 1 Timothy 3, 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Come on, give God some praise. You might have to buy this tape and listen to it 15 or 20 times. I might have to buy this tape and listen to it. Great is the mystery of godliness. Come on, tell your neighbor, great is the mystery of godliness. Third foundational truth. Third foundational truth. God the Son became man. Would you say to your neighbor, God the Son? S O N became man. Hallelujah. Not half God, not half man, but fully God and fully man. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. See, there were some who proclaimed that Jesus was not really God. There were others who proclaimed that he was not really man. He was not real flesh and blood. But the word of God proclaimed that Jesus was both God and man. Are there any Bible believers in the house today? That's John, who was the eyewitness of the Lord. He was there and reported what he saw and what he heard. And he would say in 1 John 4 and 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which we have heard was coming and now is already in the world. And then in 2 John 1 and 7, he said, For many believers are deceivers, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. Now, all of this is important because only a human being can truly experience life as a human being. Only a human being can reveal God to human beings in terms that we can understand. Only a human being can fully represent us and serve as our agent. Only a human being can serve as a meeting point between God and humanity. If there's to be a substitute for us. If anyone is to be sacrificed in our place and to atone for our sins, that person must be innocent, that person must be worthy, that person must be righteous and holy. Jesus was righteous because he did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth. Jesus was worthy because he was not just a man, and this was to be a sacrifice of one man for all of the men who had ever lived and who would ever live in the future. Jesus, the Son of God, was worthy. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, Jesus, was righteous. He did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth. And so such the world, search the universe, and you cannot find anybody who could atone for the sins of mankind except Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Is anybody here saved by his blood, delivered by the blood of Jesus, blessed by the blood of Jesus? Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. His divinity gave him authority. And his humanity gave him credibility and relatedness. Praise God for Jesus. Come on, praise God for Jesus, the Son of God. The next foundational truth that John shared was that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Say that after me, please. Jesus died 
of the sins of the world. They don't want us just around here shouting and feeling good, having a good time and seeing one another and not knowing who our Savior is, not knowing who our Savior can, can be, not knowing what our Savior can do in our lives. How many of you serve the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Come on, praise God. Jesus died. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He said in John 3, 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How many of you believe that? For God, verse 17, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So John gives us his testimony in John 19 and 32. John said, I saw it with my eyes. When the soldiers came, they broke the legs of the first thief who was crucified with Jesus and the other thief who was crucified with him. And they came to Jesus, and they saw that Jesus was already dead. He was not in a coma. He's not in a swoon. He was dead. You could not go through what Jesus went through and not die. They did not break his legs. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came up. And he who was seen, who has seen, has testified. And his testimony is true. John is speaking, said, he who has seen, has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. John said, I actually saw this with my own eyes. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus did this in secret. Nobody observed it. Nobody saw it. He was really dead. Graveyard dead. I saw him die. I saw them pierce him in the side so that all of his life substances came flowing out. Jesus was really dead. Hallelujah. How many of you believe Jesus really did die? He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hallelujah. Let the church say hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah. Let me keep on reading here. In John chapter 1, Verse 21, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the next day he stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then in 1 Peter 3.18, Peter said, Jesus Christ also suffered 
for the sins of the world, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to, having put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit. And then the next foundational truth that John conveys, conveys to us is that Jesus, the Son of God, arose from the dead. Hallelujah. Look at your name and say, Jesus, the Son of God, arose from the dead. I'm going to read two scripture passages. Are you all all right? Hallelujah. John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus, who had been crucified and had arisen from the dead, came and stood in the midst. I don't know how he got in there. The doors were shut. All of a sudden, Jesus showed up and said, Peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands. He said, See the wounds, the print, the nails? He showed them his side. The disciples were gathered around. They saw the print of the nails in his hand. They saw the print of the spear in his side. The disciples said that the Bible says that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But then let's go on. There was somebody who doubted, just like there are those who doubt in the house of the Lord today. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came in that former instance in verse 19. The other disciples therefore said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hand the print of the nail, unless I put my finger into the print of the nail, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples began inside. But Thomas was with them this time. And Jesus showed up in the room. The doors were all shut and stood in the midst. And he said to them, peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Hallelujah. And Jesus said to Thomas, Because you've seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen, but believe just the same. Are they any just the same believers? We're going to believe anyhow, believe anyhow, trust anyhow, obey anyhow. Hallelujah. Let the church say hallelujah. I'm almost through. False assumptions lead to false conclusions, false approaches, false methods, false pathways, false pathways cannot lead to the right destination. Come on, tell your neighbor, false pathways cannot lead 
to the right destination. Wrong assumptions lead to failure. But John, who saw with his own eyes, believed. Even when he was persecuted, he said, I still believe. When he was thrown on the Isle of Patmos and was there alone in exile, he said, I still believe. When they attempted to kill him and take his life, say, you're preaching a false gospel. John said, no, I'm preaching the true gospel. I saw him with my own eyes. I saw his miracles. I heard his words. I saw him crucified. I saw him buried. I saw him on the third day after he had arisen from the dead. He was dead. Now he's alive. I saw it with my own eyes. Are there any believers in the house? Come on, raise your hand and say, praise the Lord. Does anybody believe that Jesus, hallelujah, is Lord and Savior? Jesus died on a cross. Jesus arose from the dead. Jesus is alive. Would you tell three people, my Savior is alive. Hallelujah. He died on a cross. He was buried in the grave. But on the third day, he arose again from the dead. Alive forevermore. I've got the key to death, to hell and the grave. All power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. And child of God, if Jesus arose from the dead, that means you will arise from the dead. If Jesus arose from the dead, nothing is impossible. God is able to do anything. Would you tell your neighbor, God is able to do anything. Come on, stand up and give God praise. Give him glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is the son of God. He died for your sins and mine. He arose from the dead. He's alive right now. Whatever I need, whatever I desire, if I believe, he's able to do exceedingly above all that we may ask our thing. I wish somebody would praise him. Any rivers that you think are uncrossable? Do you have any mountains that you can't tunnel through? God specializes. And he's able to do what no other power is able to do. 
The God of miracles is our God. The God of power is our God. The God of might is our God. Are there any believers in the house? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for your revelation of yourself to us. We believe you. We trust you. We will worship you. We will serve you. We will do your will. Thank you, dear Jesus, that you've not hidden yourself from us, but you've revealed yourself in truth. Thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. Thank you, dear Lord, that you forgive us and save us and you draw us to yourself. These things are written, John said, that you might believe on the name of Jesus and that you may have eternal life. Thank you for life. Thank you for health. Thank you for strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. As simply and as plainly as I could, I've shared with you the truth of God's word about Jesus Christ. The nationalistic, humanistic, materialistic mind says there is no God. But the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But how many of you know there is a God? The intricacy and complexity, accuracy of the universe is a testimony to God's wisdom. The vastness of the earth, the power of the sun, and of all that God has created the testimony to God's great power, the plight of humanity on the earth that God has so blessed us is a testimony to the love of God. That great God is in love with you. He cares for you. He wants to be mighty and powerful in your life. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're here today, and you would say, God, I want your forgiveness. I want your mercy extended to me. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I believe on you according to your word. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. If you want to pray that prayer, if you feel the need for God, you've been brought face to face with your inadequacy and your need for the love and the mercy of Almighty God, if you would say, preacher, pray for me, I need God, then I want you just to let me know, and I will pray for you. By the lifting of your hand, if you would say, I believe God, I accept God as my Lord, my Savior, and my God, in the name of Jesus, thank the Lord. If that's you, lift that hand up high, please. Pray for me, preacher. 
I want to know God. I don't want to live on this earth without knowing the God of the universe. Lift that hand up high for me, please, so that I can see it. I believe God. I believe the word of the Lord. Dear Lord, bless every lifted hand, every believing heart. I shared your word, your truth. They believed it and accepted it. Their lives will never be the same again. Thank you, dear God, for all that you are and all that you have done. In the name of Jesus, thank God. Amen. If you lifted your hand, I want to know your name. I want to write you a letter of encouragement in the days that are to come. I want your name on my prayer list. I want to pray for you. I want to praise God with you for all that God has done in your life. If you're already a believer, if you desire to receive the Lord as your Savior today, I want you to step into the aisle. If you're already a believer and desire to join the church, I just want you to get into the aisle. Come on down. I just want to pray for you for a minute, and our personal workers want to minister to you. If you lifted your hand, or if you did not, but you just want